And now I'd like to present our very own Dwayne Polk. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Morning. All right. Oh, I saw everybody's awake. All right. Is God not good or what? I mean, I mean, I was back there and I'm thinking about amazing grace and I'm thinking about how he saved me and I, it took everything that was in me not to just be on the floor. Oh my God, God is so praise him, praise him, praise him. He's wonderful. Well, we're going to continue on talking about community today. And last week we talked about what God has spoken to this church about being a community and not so much of an event. We talked about having a right heart for redemptive community and gave some examples of that. Today, this time, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the context, the environmental context that needs to be in place in order for redemptive community to work. Because it's good to have the heart, but there also has to be an environment that makes it conducive for that to grow. So in the interest of that, the title of this sermon is going to be called The Right Context for Redemptive Community. The Right Context for Redemptive Community. So where are my prayer warriors at? I need some prayer for this. I believe that I do not have the power to do this. Only God has the power to do this. And I believe in my prayer warriors that help me up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's pray and get into this. Father, decrease me completely, Lord God. Speak to your people through me. Father, your presence is here from this worship, and we just want to know your truth so that we can accomplish what you have set for us in this earth to do. Father, I pray that you would put your authority on these words, because my words have no authority, but your words have all the authority. I pray that you would just let your spirit brood upon us, Lord, and that it would open our hearts and open our minds to what you are saying. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to our church. And I thank you so much for this opportunity and for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Sometimes we think about God as creator and the sustainer of this universe, and it can cause us to have some really deep thoughts. And we think about, like, how, the, how long the world has been here, how things work, how things don't work. We look at things like the Grand Canyon. We look at things like the sun. We look at things of how, like, the earth spins on its axis. And we look at everything that God has set up. And then we look at our own lives, and we look how the mighty long way that God has brought us from. And I believe all of us, at one time or another, we get to a point where we just stand back and we just say, you know what? God just knows what he's doing. This God knows what he's doing. He's not just willy-nilly, but he does things for a purpose. He knows what he's doing. Y'all ever had a situation like that? Well, I recently had a situation like that when I was reading a book. Now, here's the thing. I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. Call me whatever you want. I have books from the floor to the ceiling. And so one book that I bought was called Smithsonian Human. It's a huge book. <laughs> you, get it? you see that big eye? All right. Anyway... This book has tons of information, tons of information about human beings, about how we think, about how we learn, about different cultures, different languages. And so in this book, it actually has this huge section on the human body. And so I started reading this thing about the human body, and it talks about the cells and how they multiply. It talks about how our cells form up our organs, like our heart and our stomach. And then it talks about how these, these organs form systems. Do you know how long the small intestine is? It's huge, but it has all that information in here. And 
as I'm reading this and I am pondering the endless complexity of the human body and how everything works with such precision and for such accuracy, I had to actually stop reading and say, God, when you created the human body, you knew what you were doing. You did not just throw this stuff together. You had a plan. You knew what you were doing. And so not only do I believe God knew what he do, was doing when he created the body, I also believe God knew exactly what he was doing when by his Holy Spirit he led his people to call themselves the body. And we're not just talking about anybody. We're talking about the body, the body of Christ. And there's a lot of mystery in that. There's a lot of mystery in that. Like we are the hands and feet of, of Christ and we are so unified with Christ that we are the body and he is the head. There's been so many profound and theologically lofty sermons given on Christ being the body. Well, guess what? I'm not that profound and this sermon is probably not going to be that profound. But what we're going to do is we're going to explore the idea of redemptive community using the body metaphor. And for this, I need you to turn your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, I know we're carrying our Bibles, right? Yeah. All right, all right. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15. Biblically speaking, Paul is the first person to refer to the church as the body of Christ. Now, that term was a familiar term in his day. Different Romans used that term when they were talking about different social contexts and what was going on in society. So this term would have been familiar to the people that he's talking to in Corinth. Now, whenever you have a bunch of people getting together for any reason, there's going to be drama. And that doesn't exclude itself from the church. How many of the people know that there's drama in the church? All right. <laughs> well, just like there's drama in the church now, there was drama in the church back then. So he's writing to the church at Corinth because they have drama surrounding spiritual gifts. So from chapters 14, 12 through 14, he's trying to address that issue of spiritual gifts. Things have gotten so bad that there's a lot of bad feelings, there's unhealthy relationships, there's even abuse of the spiritual gifts and abuse of other people. So Paul being the good apostle, shepherding apostle he is, he said, okay, let me guide you, let me help you through this and talk you through why you have to have a healthy sense of diversity and unity in the church. We have to have a diversity of giftings and people brought together in the unity of God. And it's in this large edifying context that he throws out this metaphor about the body. As we examine this, we're going to get some perspectives on what context is needed for redemptive community. So first, 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 20. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it no less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. So check the scenario. In this congregation that Paul is talking to, you have a body of people, and they think that one particular gift is the most excellent gift. I call it the bomb gift. They think that this gift <laughs> is the most prized one. It's the one that everybody wants to talk about and everyone wants to be like. And this image is so compelling in this, this group of people that they say, you know what? If you don't have that gift, then you're kind of outside the body. You're not, really, you're not really where it's at. So it would be like me standing up here saying, you know what, 
The true spiritual gifts, the gifts that really show that you're connected to God are if you can preach and if you can pray. Now, if you can preach and pray, that's great. Now, if God supernaturally leads you to give uh, with abundance or if God supernaturally just allows you to lead things in the church or if God just supernaturally puts this compassion in you and you love people, well, that's okay. It's all right. But it's not really all that. And that's exactly the, the position that they're coming from with this gift. So perhaps unintentionally, they create this social structure such that everyone wants to have this particular gift. And they don't want to recognize their own God-given unique gifts. And so there grows this, this cookie-cutter type of mentality, this uniformity, where there's no true celebration of diversity. And this, this, this gives dysfunctional environment where you got to walk the same, you got to talk the same, you got to act the same. And then this leads to something that's really messed up. It can actually get so deep that when people have certain specific gifts, and I think this actually happened in Paul's day too, that when people have specific gifts, those are the people that are closest to God, those are the people most holy, so everybody's spirituality has to be garnered around that gift. I can't truly be spiritual because I don't have the, the, the bomb gift, so let me go talk to the people that do have the bomb gift so that I connect with God. What's said in the mind in the community is, is, is this. If I'm truly spiritual, if I truly want to develop myself in God, I have to do things your way after mimic the way you use your gifting, and I have to think about everything the way you do it. So it's almost like that I need you to survive, but in a very dysfunctional way. Now, I like calling this kind of spirituality parasitic spirituality because it operates like a parasite. There's no identity in that person unless there's somebody else giving them their identity. So they end up continuously living off of other people's testimonies. They continuously live off of other people's prayer lives, other people's things. And then all of a sudden, this is, this is the terrible thing that happens. They rob God of the opportunity to use their unique gift, and they end up draining the body as a result. Because everybody can't have the same gift. That's exactly what they're talking about. It would exactly be like the body if all of a sudden everybody just think, you know what? The brain is the one making all the decisions. All we're doing is acting out. And so the heart basically says, you know what? I'm tired of being a heart. I want to be brain. I want to be composed of brain cells. And then the bones basically say, you know what? Well, I'm tired of just standing around. I want to think too. So I want to be composed of brain cells. And the muscles say the same thing. And all, the, all these cells in my body say they want to be one giant brain. Guess what would happen? You see an alien up here. I would just be one big brain. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You would, not be a you would not be a body, but you'd be a monstrosity if you don't have this healthy diversity. Let me give you an example from my history. When I was in um, seminary, I went to a lot of Pentecostal churches. And I'm not saying every Pentecostal church is like this. But I did visit some Pentecostal churches where they really placed a high primacy on the gift of prophecy. The prophetic gift, the ability to hear from God and speak the word of God was really, really influential. And it was so influential that they would have prophetic conferences, they would have prophetic retreats, they would have prophetic services, they would actually have times where you could go up and ask the prophet what's going on. And so, of course, in that church, everybody wanted to be a prophet. Everybody wanted to hear a word. I mean, giving, that was okay, and leading things, that was okay, but you really wanted to hear from God and speak that, speak that word, that you really wanted the prophet's gift. 
And things got so dysfunctional in some of these churches where the people's spirituality were dependent on what the prophet said. If you wanted to move to another city, you had to ask the prophet. If you wanted to change jobs, you had to ask the prophet. I almost wanted to ask, hey, do you have to ask the prophet if you want to change breakfast cereals? Hey, you know, I think I might want to move to Lucky Charms instead of, you know, Crispix. I mean, what what do I do, prophet? Now, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but if we look at it, that same thing happens in a lot of other sectors of Christianity rather than just Pentecostal. I mean, there's some areas where they like a big charismatic preacher, and preaching is where it's at. And so if you don't know how to preach with, a, with, with excitement, enthusiasm, then your gift is just okay. And then, you know what happens? People get really linked to that preacher. I mean, God forbid that you would really hear God for yourself, or, or, or people would really just think for themselves, or, or look at what God has given them in their hearts. But what has to happen is we have to go to service and we have to hear the word of that particular preacher in order for our spirituality to be right. I like like calling that the spiritual fix. Got to get my next hit. Now, I can't pray by myself. I got to hear the word from the man or the woman of God. And so that happens a lot. Now, am I knocking preaching? Absolutely not. Am I knocking prophecy? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is, if the focus in the community, quote-unquote, focuses so much on certain giftings to the exclusion of other giftings, you're going to end up having people trying to be clones of things that they're not, and you're actually going to make a very dependent congregation. That's what's going to happen. This is not the way healthy, redemptive community is supposed to operate. Healthy community is supposed to have elements of individuality and independence, There needs to be enough space where God can work with individuals and say, this is what I've called you to be. I have called you to be that giver. I've called you to be that um, compassion person. I've called you to be that leader. It does not matter that a lot of people out here really appreciate that preaching gift or they really appreciate that prophetic gift. This is what I've called you to do. And you cannot do that in a context that tries to force you in a box. True redemptive community does not try to force people into spiritual boxes. It lets God show up however God wants to show up. And it lets people do what God has called them to do in the context of that body. So the first thing that the context of redemptive community has to have is healthy independence. A sense of healthy independence. Now, a thing that's corresponding with that that we're going to get to in this next scripture is the the context also has to have healthy sense of dependence. A healthy sense of dependence. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 24. A. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. Now, in, in, the, in the context of the body, Paul is talking about how some people think that the head is a greater part of the body than anything that's in here, like the heart or the stomach or anything like that. And Paul is basically saying, look, you think the head is so great and the hands are so great? Try living without a heart. Try living without some lungs. Those things that you think are weaker vessels, they are indispensable to the body. And so he uses that analogy because in the Corinthian church, there's some upper crust Christians that have a lot of money. And right now they're looking down upon Christians that don't have any money. Now, I would call, in the hood, we, call these, we would call these people either sadiddy or bougie. 
These are those people that think they all that, they got all that, they got the house, they got the car, they got the 2.5 kids, they got the dog. And so they're the ones looking at these Christians that don't have anything like, what do we need you for? You don't bring nothing to the church. Sometimes you kind of stink a little bit. We don't need you. And Paul is saying that is not the right attitude to have. Now, looking at this passage, I believe many times that we do say that phrase, I don't need you, to others in our community. But I don't necessarily think that it's for exactly the same reasons. Now, granted, we do have some bougie Christians that don't like to hang around certain other people. But I do think that there's a much more pervasive problem in our American context. In our individualistic, breakneck speed, overloaded time-consumed American context, we have so many factors that press upon us to try to separate ourselves from the greater community, even in the Christian context. We have jobs, we have hectic schedules, we've got family issues we have to deal with. All of these things say conserve your time and conserve your time for yourself and your immediate family. We have all these pressures binding on us all the time. Check this out. We are in the age of the online church. I can get up in the morning. I can turn on my computer. I can click on a website. I can go there, listen to the worship, sing the worship in my own house, listen to the message in my own house, actually get, send in a prayer request by email, and I could never talk to another person again. I could do that for the rest of my life. We have the technology to do that. Technology, we are allowing technology to completely rip the fabric of what it means to be a community. The breakup of community is a crazy phenomenon that's been happening for a while now. So basically, it's easy for us to say, I don't need you. But we don't say, I need you in a looking down upon way. We say, I don't need you in the form of, I don't have time for you. Look here, man, I work, these, I work 10 hour shifts, I have this, this wife, I have this kid, I don't have time to be in a covenant group, I don't have time to try to, 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 to share time with other people. Or I don't have the energy for you. I'm like, man, I stayed up all night with my two year old daughter last night, do you know how hard that is? I cannot go to church, I can't meet with other believers at this time, I just gotta do what I gotta do. Or we say things like, I don't need you because I can do my own spirituality. I go to that online church. I download the messages. I love Greg's messages. I download them every Sunday or every Wednesday, that kind of thing. And so what happens over time is that we begin believing the hype. We begin believing the TV. We begin believing the society. We begin, Satan really lulls us into believing that we can and should do redemptive community all by ourselves. We can do bad by ourselves. We start thinking that we're God. We start thinking that we are, have a sadie. Let me teach you a theological term. A sadie means that we're self-sufficient, that we absolutely don't need anybody else. And I'm sure we'll come to big settings like this in, in churches around America, and we'll, we'll come and we'll greet others and whatnot. But for some of us, I don't mean just in here, I mean other, uh, other places around the world, for some of us, that's all we need. You give us a good sermon, you give us a good study guide, and we're done. We'll handle it, we'll handle the spirituality on our own time, in our own place, in our own home, with our own family. I think about the church sometimes, and I think about this thing called the ball pit. Have any of y'all been to Chuck E. Cheese? Or like, like so y'all know what I'm talking about? There's this ball pit, and the balls, they're so big, and, and when nobody's looking, I like to jump in there. <laughs> y'all do too, don't even lie. <laughs> So anyway, there's this ball pit, and the balls are created such that they work like water molecules. So they're always shifting and always changing. You can go all the way to the bottom and come up and take a ball and hit somebody in the head with it. But this is what I thought about. Sometimes I think that the church acts like a ball pit. 
there's always, there's always some kind of touching. The balls are always moving around each other. And it's, hey, brother, how you doing? And sister's good to see you this Sunday. And you shake hands and stuff like that. But none of the balls are interrelated. They're always touching. They're always moving around each other. But none of the balls are interrelated. That's a group of balls. It's not a connected, inter interwoven net of balls. And I think that's exactly what happens sometimes in the church. We're a group of people in the same place, but we're not necessarily a community. We're a grouping and not necessarily a community. And unfortunately, this trap can move people towards unhealthy spirituality. On one hand, you might have the person that is all alone and they live by God's grace, but because they don't necessarily have that accountability structure around them, they keep falling into the same sins over and over and over again, and they don't know why. And then over in this extreme, you have somebody that lives by themselves, but they are constantly in that, that morass or that web of self-condemnation, and they don't have those people around them to really display and demonstrate the love and forgiveness of God to them, to free them. And who suffers from this? Not just that person, but every person involved in the church. And we're going to get, we're going to, get to that a little bit later. The bottom line is, against everything our American context tells us, against everything the online church tells us, we need other voices in our lives. We need other people, others outside of our spheres of influence, to speak into our lives to really show us other aspects of the body of Christ. Otherwise, we have a lot of malignant cancer cells walking around. All a cancer really is is a bunch of cells that act very radically, autonomously. They do their own thing, and they grow how they want to grow, and they go where they want to go, and they end up destroying the body as a whole. Redemptive community has a context where people understand their deep need for each other. They live some of these lyrics, I pray for you, you pray for me. I won't harm you. That's the, that's the context in which they live. And they say, I don't believe in Lone Ranger Christianity. I don't believe that I can just sit up in my house and never speak to another Christian. I need that community. I need to be there. Now, of course, we get alone by ourselves. We get alone with God, and that's great. But if we don't have an underpinning of understanding, the context needs to be that we understand that we are de dependent on each other. Let me tell you something. I have these big two, big two by fours in my eyes. I need you guys to help me see that. Because I can't see because I have those two by fours in my eyes. And if we understand that all of us have two by fours in our eyes, then as a dependent community, we can help to pull those things out. That's what we can do. So at this point, we understand that community, redemptive community, it has a healthy sense of independence, and we also understand it has a healthy sense of dependence. And when you put these two things together, they combine to, to, to form what I think is the essence, the essence of the context of redemptive community. And we're going to talk about that now. 1 Corinthians 24b through 30. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. So Paul is like this at this time in this point of the, of the story. Look here, Corinthians. Some of y'all may think that you are so big and bad that you don't need anybody, but guess what? You're wrong. Some of y'all think that just because you have this specific gift or this like that, that you are better than other people. You are wrong. God himself has instituted this thing such that there would be diversity but not division. That there would be numerous aspects of the body that can be useful for God's kingdom. 
And he's done it in such a way where every gift, I don't care how small you think it are, is, Corinthians, that it's important. And such that if one person is hurting, if one loss is in the body, then the whole body feels it. If one gain is made by the body, the whole body feels it. Now, this ties in really deeply with the right heart, as far as having the heart of empathy and having the heart of love. Now, I was reading a couple of commentaries, and I found an interesting thing about what Paul means when he actually says those words, as far as if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. Here's an example. Now, imagine you're just enjoying creation. You, you, you decide to do everything as far as taking your shoes off. Things are so wonderful. I mean, I mean let's say it's a summer day, and you're, you're thinking about God, and you're praising God, and things are wonderful, and you're not watching where you're going, and you're taking these big, big bold strides outside, and all of a sudden, you wear your foot back, and you kick it right on a rock with your bare feet, and it hits on the little toe. Has anybody here ever stubbed your little toe? <laughs> you lose the thought, you lose your composure, you almost lose your bodily fluids because it hurts so bad. <laughs> Even though that toe is so little, that pain reverberates throughout the whole body such that you can't think. And that's the way Paul says that we have to feel with one another. And then he turns it around, and this is the best analogy that the commentators could give. It's like if you're really stressed out, you had a stressful day at work, and the boss was just chewing you out, and so your arm, your arm hurts, or your, actually your hand hurts. And so maybe your spouse or your loved one or a friend of yours decides to give you a hand massage. And, you know, you notice it's like, well, that, that feels kind of good. And next thing you know, your body seems more relaxed and you were almost cussing in your head, but now that voice is kind of calmed down and you're feeling more relaxed. And so your whole body is participating in the pleasure that that one body member is getting. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He said things should be so interconnected, so interwoven, that when a brother in my community or in my, in my group decides that he, something, he's going for something with the, with, the, with the faith of God and things are happening to him, I should rejoice in that. And when a sister is going through in my community, maybe a family member died or something like that, I should weep with that. Our bodies should feel what the individuals feel. This is what I think is so interesting about the Word of God. They, they make these play on words. The Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible talks about that in two different ways. We are temples of the Holy Spirit individually, and we're temples of the Holy Spirit collectively. That is the idea of redemptive community. When we truly understand that, that the part is not separated from the whole and the whole is not separated from the part. I want to give a real life example. A person I know, young lady, she did something that she was tremendously vexed in her spirit about. She felt, actually, she said she felt evil. She felt like evil had just come upon her. And so she walked around, and she was looking down all the time. And what ended up happening is she, she talked to me, and she was like, you know what the problem is? I believe in my head that God loves me. I really do believe that. And I believe in my head that God will forgive me if I ask him for forgiveness. But for some reason, it's not getting in here. I can't feel it. I can't feel it to the point where even when I try to, my mind tries to, I try to tell my mind that it does not work. And so what this person decided to do was to get with a group of friends, and one of these group of friends was a Lutheran, and there's, there's this Lutheran process by which the, the, forgiveness of, of, of the forgiveness of sins from Christ is proclaimed upon you. And so instead of going into a shell, instead of trying to separate herself from her community, she said, well, let me try that. 
And so they get together and they pray heartily. And then this proclamation of forgiveness of sins goes to her and instantly it's gone. The pain, the heartache, that, that incongruity between her mind and her heart, all that stuff was absolutely gone. That's what the context of redemptive community can do. When we realize that we're not lone rangers and that we do need each other, I need you to pray for me. I will pray for you. I need you to pray for me. We are all a part of God's body. When we do that. Now, here, thank you, thank you. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I love that song. Um, I need you to survive. But one part always confused me. I mean, always, up until recently. There's this one part where it says, it is his will that every need be supplied. Now, I noticed all the other lyrics, I pray for you, you pray for me, we're all a part of God's body. All of that stuff speaks about interdependence. So when I get to this point, it says, it is his will that every need be supplied. I'm like, well, where does that, I mean, you just kind of chuck that in there? I mean, <laughs> how did that get in there? And, but, but the problem was, I didn't think about how the human body works. The way the human body works is one system produces something that another system in the body needs. And that system, in turn, produces something else that the other system needs. Like we get oxygen from the circulatory system that goes, from the respiratory system that goes into the circulatory system. And then we get the blood that goes to all of the muscles in the muscular system. And so on and so on it goes. And the way it works is this. And God gave me just an instant revelation. If the body of Christ has the context and does what it's supposed to do, if everybody is playing their part, but they realize they're interconnected, every need in that body will be supplied. Amen. Every need in that body will be supplied. And this shows, this shows an important principle about interdependence. Just like we have to feel suffering and feel joy with other people, we have to understand and believe that God has supplied every need we have in the body of Christ. That the leaders that we need, that the compassion people that we need, that the proclamators that we need, that the resources that we need, they really are in God. See, there's a part of our vision that says that we want to work hand in hand with other members of the body of Christ and, and, and until all are fulfilled in Christ. And you know what that means? What that means is it is very possible that God has set giftings in here without which other churches cannot fulfill their vision. It's actually possible that there's some other churches out there that we haven't even met yet, that God has placed the gifts there without which we will not meet our vision. We need them, they need us, we need to pray for them, they need to pray for us. That complete interdependency, where the synergy makes, make, it makes more than the whole of its parts. This is the way things have to happen. And if we believe that church, we stop, we we stop trying to cut corners and we stop trying to act like the world all the time. We stop trying to finagle and try to make things happen and try to spiritually manipulate people. We would actually believe God and we'd actually look and say, what do we have in our house? What do we have with our Christian neighbors? What do we have already? And that's important for us. So we see right now that we have healthy independence, a context of healthy independence, healthy dependence, and healthy interdependence. There's still one thing missing, and it's extremely, extremely important. One thing missing. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now we're going to a scripture that's before all the other scriptures that we've mentioned thus far. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. 
And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I have to say that again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying, hear this. God is the ultimate source of life for the body. God is the ultimate source of the life for the body. We need to recognize our utter, unconditional dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize that. It's very interesting. Tell me if y'all ever, ever thought about this, but Jesus, whenever, when he talks to some people, he talks to his, some people in a very interesting way. He'll refer to himself or things dealing with himself in terms of daily necessities. He goes to the woman at the well at Samaria, and he basically talks about this water, if you drink it, that you'll never thirst again. And then he goes to these other people, and he talks about this bread from heaven. And so, of course, it's like any person that's living check to check or month to month, they're like, hey, give us this stuff. The woman is saying, please show me where this water is because I'm tired of carrying this bucket. And then the, the, these other people are saying, would you show us where this bread of heaven is so that we can partake of it? And he was speaking about himself. He's basically, and he's basically saying, look, I am your daily need. I, you should need me more than you need food. That's how much you should need me. But then God hit me with another brick. And it was basically this. You can have a human body. You standing up here right now. And you can have all the systems working the way they should. They're all interconnected. They're all working together. But what happens if I don't get food and if I don't get water and if I don't get air? I'm going to die. The interdependence and the independence and the dependence, none of that matters if my body does not get the sustenance it needs to survive. Check this out. Actually, if I, if I don't get that food and that water, that sustenance, guess what my body starts doing? It starts feeding off of itself. It starts breaking down the muscle tissue just so it can keep staying alive. And it does that until I die. And I believe there's a spiritual truth there. If we do not regularly practice the presence of God, if we do not truly seek his face, what ends up happening is we'll have all these giftings and we'll have all of these people and all these blessings, but we will end up feeding off of ourselves. We'll be getting life out of doing worship. We'll be getting life out of preaching. We'll be getting life out of serving in, in kids' station. We'll be getting life out of what we do. And we take from each other, and we take from each other, and we don't get from God, and then we die. And we don't do what God has called us to do. But if we get the spiritual sustenance we need, if we seek God's face, if we say, God, you are the absolute center of this thing, then we not only survive, but we thrive, we grow, and we multiply. The point of Christianity is to multiply such that the kingdom of God is expanded and the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. Therefore, therefore, the redemptive community context, it must be one where worship is absolutely central. And I don't just mean singing. I don't just mean singing praise songs. I mean a lifestyle when you are actually pulling God into everything that you do. You have a daily lifestyle of prayer. The community, the community sets itself up for this. The community puts a primacy on worship. It puts a primacy on seeking God. 
It puts a primacy on intercessory prayer. It puts a primacy on getting to the face of God. It is not about just putting songs up there and stuff like that as much as let's get as many people in this place in contact with God because that is the spiritual food we need. That's what we're doing. If you come here, and I'm talking, about, I'm talking to anybody, if we come here just to hear good worship songs, we will end up starving ourselves. If we end up coming here just to see somebody talk a little bit about the Bible, but we're not really trying to get that spiritual nourishment from God, we will end up starving ourselves. The only way, and this is what Paul is making his whole argument, we are unified in the Spirit of God. But the only way we can be unified in that spirit in practice is if we make sure to invite God here. How many churches do we have that they'll run a whole program but don't really try to invite God here? But if we do that, if the body of Christ does that, then we have that food, we have that water, we have that nourishment, and then we can do whatever we need to do. If we need to help these people on the east side of St. Paul, we can do that. If we need to go ahead and help people in our own body, we can do that. If we need to minister to our youth, we can do that. We can do whatever we need to do because we have the energy to do so. This is why it is extremely important for redemptive community that we understand that we have to be absolutely centered on worship. I remember something that my seminary professor told me. I think I said this before. He said, the worst thing that could happen to a Christian sometimes is getting into ministry. Because the ministry can become your life. And you forget that your life is in Jesus Christ. Oh, what, oh, what, a, what, a, what a terrible end when you spend so much time at church. You spend so much time in the ministry and you get life from that rather than getting life from God. What a horrible end. So let's go back. For a redemptive community, you need healthy independence. You need healthy dependence, and which leads to interdependence. And then you need a, utter, a, a context of utter dependence upon God. Now, some of y'all might be saying, you know what? Well, I have a hard time seeing that. I mean, if that's what redemptive community is, I have a hard time seeing it. And let me tell you something. Maybe in some of your circles, you don't. Guess what? We're human beings. Wherever you have human beings, you're going to have mess. You're going to have chaos. <laughs> You're going to have people having strife with one another, all that kind of stuff. But just because we are fallen human beings, that does not change the fact that God honors this model of unity. Right. He's the one that gave the body metaphor. He's the one that inspired Paul to do it. I think he had a reason for doing that. And here's the thing. If we truly want to be a church that tears down walls and builds bridges, we need to believe this also. We need to hear what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. We have to hear that we need this diversity in the body, but we are unified in Christ such that I cannot truly be who I am in this body unless I'm praying for you. I can't just pray for my message. I got to pray for you as the body, as my brothers and sisters that are hearing this with me. And I appreciate when you pray for me when I'm up here shaking in my boots internally so that I can have the strength to proclaim the word of God. We need each other exactly like that. And I, I believe, this is what I believe in my heart. It might take five years, it might take 10 years, but I believe as we live this out, God is going to fulfill the calling that he has on this church. And we're going to see lives saved, we're going to see lives transformed, and this is what I, I want to see. I, I see this in my mind's eye. We're going to be sitting down, and we're going to see youth being saved. We're going to see the, the community being transformed. We'll see our own families grow in their spirituality, and we're going to think about all the work and all the sacrifice that we had to do, all the stuff we had to put up with, 
And we're going to remember a time where we listened to this kind of, and we kind of thought skeptically like, I don't know if that can work. But we're going to look at what God has brought out of it. We're going to look how God has transformed us. We're going to look how God has transformed our community. And we're going to say, you know what? I didn't really believe it then, but I believe it now. God knew what he was doing. The Father knew what he was doing. We have to believe that, church. This, the Bible that we read is not just a bunch of trivia. It is, it is principles for living. Principles for living so we can do what God has called us to do. Do we believe God knows what he's doing? Do we believe God knows what he's doing? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this word. I thank you so much for these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would let this word sink deep down into our spirits, into our souls, that we bring forth fruit. That's how you can tell when things are down in there, Father, is over time they bear forth fruit. So I pray that in my life, in my family's life, in our lives, that you would bear fruit from this. Father, give us a holy hunger. Give us a holy starvation for you that we continuously day in and day out want to seek your face and seek your presence. That we truly make worship of you central. I pray traveling mercies on these people as they go home. Father, I pray that as a result of this word, none of us are the same. And I just thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, I think we're going to have some prayer warriors at the front. If you want some prayer, go in peace and serve the Lord.